You remember the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God? You remember that story at the Jabbok River? Behind Jacob was his uncle slash father-in-law, a guy named Laban. Laban had said, all right, Jacob, this is the line. You cross back over this line, and you're in my territory, and we will fight. In front of him was his brother Esau. He had had tricked Esau, sleight of hand. He had robbed him of his birthright and his blessing. And so Esau's coming this way. Laban's over here. And Jacob is stuck. And he's at this river called Jabbok. And the Bible tells us that there he wrestled all night long with this angel of God. Now, I'll tell you that story because that's kind of how I feel in dealing with the book of Job. Nobody likes to talk about Job. It's too painful. No one wants to hear of tragedy so horrific. Who wants to walk in this man's shoes or experience what he did and endure the torment? The night of wrestling I've had with God over this issue of the book of Job has centered me on this one thought. You will go through trial and trouble and heartache, just like I will. It may not be like Job, may not be his exact experiences, But you and I will suffer in this life. That's part and parcel. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you this so that you will have peace in me. Because here on earth you may have trials and sorrows. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Be it physical, be it emotional, be it mental, be it relational, be it spiritual. Suffering in this life, trial, trouble, difficulty, is part of it. Now, you may be here this morning, and you say, well, I'm not going through anything difficult. I'm not in trial. I'm not in the midst of hardship or testing. Well, you might want to take mental notes this morning from Job, because the fact is, you will walk in those shoes. You will walk in trial and testing. 
And in that darkness of desert, maybe Job's flashlight of insights can help us find our way out. So this morning, let, let me kind of give you a road map, a direction that we're going to be going over these next two or three weeks. Three major points in Job that we're going to address. First of all, this morning we're going to address the issue of spiritual realities. This is evident from the very first chapter in his book. This, these two heavenly meetings that take place that God gives us witness to speak of the dynamic spiritual realities that come from the book of Job. Secondly, next week we're going to look at the personal repercussions from his life. The experiences, the circumstances, the hardship that this man endured that decimated his life. And then the following week, we're going to look at ministry rhetoric that spilled from the mouths of Job's friends. Good intentions, good intentions, but listen closely. They hurt Job. Friends, ministers that came to his aid in the midst of his horrific circumstances, these friends, ministers, hurt him more than helped him. And I want us to prevent that. When you talk with someone that you're ministering to, when you're trying to help a friend, when you are there in the midst of grief or heartache or hardship, may God help us all to be ministers that can help and not not heads that hurt. But this morning, spiritual realities. We don't get far at all into Job's story until God spotlights a meeting of sorts that take place in Job's life or about Job that Job knew nothing of. Job 1, verses 6 through 12. Here is that first meeting. Now, what God does is he opens up heaven and he turns the spotlight into heaven so that we can witness what is taking place in the spiritual unseen world. We're people of five senses. We encounter our world through these bodily human senses. But God is showing us here that there's another realm that is unseen to these physical eyes. Another realm that weighs heavily upon this one. Let me read to you those two spotlighted encounters. First, 
The first one is in Job 1, 6 through 12. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. The Lord then asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. He fears God, and he stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him, his home, and his property. You've made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is. But if you reach out and you take from him everything he has, he will curse you to your face. And God said in verse 12, Okay, you can test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the presence of the Lord. Were this not terrifying enough, it happens again in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, Job's second test. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. The Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil, and he's maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. But if you reach out and take away his health, he will surely curse you to your face. All right, the Lord said to Satan, do with him as you please, but spare his life. So Satan let the Lord's presence and struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. A terrifying spotlight in heaven. The spiritual realities in this life. You see, as Job walked through that hell on earth, losing not only all of his possessions, but his family as well. As Job walked through this horrible, 
horrible, defining time in his life. He had no idea of these meetings. He didn't know what heaven was talking about. He didn't know that this heavenly meeting took place and that Satan was there and that God introduced Job into the conversation. And that Satan challenged him first to take away all that he has. He would curse God to his face. He didn't. So, a second round, skin for skin, and still, Job walked with God. But he was not privy to these meetings. He just knew that something horrible had befell him. Remember as we studied last week that four guys came up standing in line. They were waiting to come in. First his camels and his sheep and then all that he had and then his family one by one. Sir, I've got a report to give you. Boom, 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 explosion. And he doesn't realize couldn't realize of this glimpse in heaven that we have. The writer gives us somewhat of an understanding of a man's life from heavenward down. From the perspective of heavenward down, we read into Job's life something he was unaware of. And the fact is, it's the same for you and me. We're given this glimpse, rare glimpse, into the Creator's council meeting. And the obvious point in this is the reality of the spiritual realm and its impact here and now in your life, in mine. God is intentionally making the reader aware of another reality that is unseen but very real that has great impact on this life. In the movie Ray about the singer-musician Ray Charles, the movie portrays the trials and the challenges and the difficulties of the late blind singer-pianist-composer Ray Charles. The film shows how Ray compensated for his blindness by learning to hear what other people could not. There's a scene in the movie 
where Ray is 10 years old. He walks into the living room where his mother is seated and he trips on the rocking chair and he falls down. In pain, he cries out to his mom, Mom, help me, help me. His mother instinctively makes a move toward her son to help him up, but then she pauses. She steps back. Ray, lying on the floor, continues to call out for his mother. But suddenly, he stops, and his head shoots upward. He hears men talking. He hears cows mooing and metal clanking. He also hears popping sound, and he feels the heat of the fireplace. He moves toward that heat, toward the fireplace, and then pulls back when he gets too close. His mother continues to watch, to look on, watching his every move, concerned as she observes her son. Ray lifts his head as he hears then a horse and carriage go by. He hears the sound of a cricket in the room. He follows that sound to find the cricket, and he puts it up to his ear to listen. His mother, always vigilant about her son, sees that Ray is learning to hear the world around him in a different way. He has ears to hear. When the mother gasps at the realization she has about her son, Ray hears the gasp. And he says to her, Mama, I hear you. I hear you. You're in this room. You're near me. With tears streaming down her face, she said, Yes, son, I am. And she kneels down in front of him and hugs him, realizing this very important step that he has made in his life, a new way to see. I think this is what God is telling us from Job in this realm of spiritual realities. That as we go through this life and we encounter circumstances, as problems, difficulties, trials befall us, we tend to just see from the world perspective. Okay, what do I need to do to get through this? How do I navigate my way through this problem? What strategy do I need to employ so that I can get through this? And we make ourselves completely unaware that a meeting has taken place in heaven. 
about us. And that the Father knows exactly what we are encountering. The presentation of this spiritual reality. You, you can't tell Job's story without this window coming open and seeing this encounter in heaven. You, you, I can't tell you, Job. We can't understand Job's story without that window into heaven. And I'll tell you, you can't understand yours either. Nor can I. We see with spiritual eyes, knowing that God the Father has his hand on us and that what we encounter, he already knows. Let's look at Satan's role in this. The accuser. And Job 1 and 8, God introduces Job into the conversation. He says, Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. Blameless. He has complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. To which Satan replies, are you kidding me? That is a major duh. It's no wonder that he serves you. It, it, seriously, you protect him. All that he has, you bless him. You've made him the wealthiest man around. Who wouldn't? It's out of selfishness that he serves you. And God said, you're wrong. Satan said, let me take it all away from him. And indeed, <clears throat> that is exactly what happened. And then another, this event, event is replicated. This experience in heaven is duplicated. Another meeting like the previous one, God introduces Job into the conversation. Satan attacks and accuses, and per God's permission, Satan is allowed to touch his body. He's the accuser. And it must be something he loves to do, because in Revelation 12, 10, we find him... Doing the very same thing. He is, we're, we're told that he is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them night and day. Now it's important to realize that in using this term accuse to find out exactly what Satan's doing. To, in, 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 in Satan's realm, to accuse doesn't just mean to whisper saying, you know, this guy's got something wrong with him. It doesn't even mean to gossip, to go around telling many people, this guy's got something wrong with him. 
This term accuse means to take a public stand where you are center of attention and you have other people's attention and you stand up and you throw rocks as hard as you can at the intended target. Here it was Job. Job, he just serves you because he's selfish. He just serves you because of what you do for him. If you would do this and if you would do that. And he's pummeling Job, trying to convince God, let him go. Leave him alone. Separate Job from the Almighty. Well, his goal is to get God to reject us because of the accusations he brings. And he's probably right. He probably says what we did. But God put restriction on him. Satan's accusation got a tentative nod from God. But God drew boundaries around Job's physical health. In the second meeting, the duplication, he gets another, Satan gets another tentative nod from God, except with the restrictions built around it. And Satan left the presence of God both times to do everything he could to turn the lights out in Job's life. In conclusion, I want to try to pull this all together. To do so, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter After identifying how blessed we are and the receiving of salvation and eternal life, Peter begins to address this issue of trial. And listen to what he says. In this salvation, our eternal life, you greatly rejoice, he says in verse 6, 1 Peter 1, 6. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, two very important phrases to be found in this passage related to trial. Two phrases. The first, for a little while. In this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What Peter is telling us here is that trials have a time frame. There is a beginning. And there is an end. For a little while. And then secondly, if need be. 
trials may come for a little while and if need be. Meaning that there is point and purpose in the trials God allows us to go through. And what he's saying is that he will use the dumb devil for God's purposes and for our good. The best news, though, is found in verse 5 of 1 Peter 1. Because before he speaks about potential trials in our lives that come, he says this, We are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed. We are being kept. Understand, you are being kept even before you enter the trial. That word kept speaks of being under the protection of a military force. You have God's military force stationed around you. And this is before trial. You have the army of God at every vulnerable opening in your life, closing off any access whereby the enemy may enter. It's supernaturally, not by our own power, but by the power of God, we are kept by God, and that is before we walk into trial. I want to show you something. Matt, put the chain up there, please. When I studied <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, I learned about this picture, and I want to tell you about it quickly. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, he says, This is a trustworthy saying. This is worthy of listening to. This is a trustworthy saying. This is confidence for you. If we die with Jesus, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, if we reject him, if we disown him, he will deny us. But, here it is. If we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us because he can't deny himself. If we deny Christ, turn away from him, reject him, he... <laughs> He'll deny us. But if we are believers, and there are times in our life through hardship, through grief, through trial, through hurt, if there are times in our life when we are unfaithful to Him, He remains faithful to us. See this chain? The silver chain, the silver links represent my faith. My faith in God. And my faith is built one upon the other. That gold link is when I fell. That gold link is when I was unfaithful. God clamped, God clamped 
that gold ring so that my faith would stay intact and not fall apart. I hope that gets your juices flowing because it does mine. Even when, through testing, through trial, through hardship, through brokenness, even when I am unfaithful to Him and I can't get faith, I can't muster the faith, He does it for me. He does it for you. So we really need not fear trial and the heartache and hardship. Because though there is pain and though there may be unfaithfulness on our part, (laughs) He will always keep us connected. Thank you, Father God for that wonderful gift of grace to us. Thank you, Father God, that when I go through my weakest and my hardest, I thank you, God, when this, the pressures of this world surround me and when, when my heart is heavy and broken and weary and I don't feel like I can go another step. When I feel like Satan and his forces are trampling all over me. Put my deal back up, Matt. God will secure me. Amen. God will secure me. God bless you for that. Bless you for the kindness you show me. I'm so thankful that I'm written in the palm of your hand. I'm so thankful that my name is in the Lamb's book of life, as is ours. And I thank you that when it, at my worst, when it gets the hardest, when I can't go on, you provide what I need always.